0: Morning, Church, How are you all doing? Well, it's good to be with you again um, to continue this series on returning home. Um, when we read the Bible in, as a whole, we see this the, the heartbeat of God, which is to return us, His people, back home. And last week, we, we caught a glimpse of our first home in the Garden of Eden. That was our first home. The first home humanity ever was in. And it was a place brimming with abundant life. But more than that, it was a place where the creator of life met with us, his people. It was the place where um, God was, where God dwelled. And so last week we saw that home ultimately is a place of life, yes. It's a place of rest, yes. But it's ultimately where God is. Home is where God dwells. And where God is, there is abundant life. There is rest. There is freedom. There is peace. There's all that good stuff. And God desires to bring us back home. And He's continuing to do that. From the beginning of time to the end of time, His mission is to bring us back to His side. Now, as the story goes of Scripture, after humans leave the Garden of Eden, because of their disobedience, there is a little stretch of time, actually quite long, when things aren't quite right. Hum- humanity can't really come back to God. And that's where the focus shifts, the story shifts its focus to a nation called Israel. And for the majority of Scripture, from after, pretty much after Genesis, all the way to the New Testament, the focus is solely on this nation, called Israel. So our focus shifts there as well. When we see what God was doing with Israel in bringing them to his side, we we can understand and we catch a greater glimpse of what Jesus was trying to do. It makes what Jesus did pop with new significance and beauty. And so I can't wait to bring that and show that to you. So as we dive in, let's pray. Oh Lord, you love your church. You love your people. And your desire, your heartbeat today, since from the very beginning of time, but today as well, is to bring us back to your side. So Lord, there are people that are actually far from you. There are people that are hesitant to come back to you. Oh Lord, I pray for them, that right now, oh Lord, that you call them. And I pray, oh Lord, that your word goes forth to bring healing and restoration, and it will be an invitation for us to return back to you, wherever we are at. So Lord, I pray you build your church and remind us, oh Lord, of what you've done, what you're doing, and what you're gonna do. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you read the first five books of the Bible, known as the Torah or the Pentateuch, especially the book of Leviticus, who's read through the entire book of Leviticus? Yes, some of you, brave souls, well done, well done. It is an odd book, isn't it? If you've ever read it, it's an odd book because it's full of a lot of odd laws. In fact, most of the laws are concerned about one thing. They're concerned about Israel being pure, being ritually pure. Depending on your translation, it will it translate it as being clean or unclean or pure and impure. I'm gonna use the word pure and impure because I think that, that is a better translation. But it's concerned about this, about how can we maintain our purity and how can you lose your purity, okay? It's concerned about that. And it's got laws like, if you touch a dead animal or a dead person or a dead body, even if it's your relative, you are impure. If you eat certain kinds of animals, like a pig, eagle, rat, we're gone, right? Um, You're impure. If you have bled, even if it's through, because of your period, or if it's through childbirth, you're considered impure. If you have a skin disease or sickness, you would be deemed impure. And the consequence of being impure was that you would be outside the camp. So there's a camp of Israel, okay? Within the camp is a space of purity, okay? Only the people who are considered ritually pure can remain inside the camp. Once you are impure, you have to head outside the camp for a set amount of time, okay? And um, the only way to be considered pure again is to offer some kind of sacrifice. Depending on the reason why you're impure, you would have to offer different kinds of sacrifices, okay? So impurity meant exclusion. Exclusion from both the community, right, you have to leave your home, you have to leave your friends, you have to leave leave your neighbourhood, but it also meant exclusion from the presence of God. Because where is the presence of God. Where is the temple? Where is the tabernacle? Within the camp, right? So within the camp is the presence of God. Is where God dwelt. So exclusion, impurity meant exclusion, not from just community, but from the presence of God. And the reason why you needed to be excluded was because impurity was highly contagious. Impurity is highly contagious. guys. chapter 2, verse 11 to 14 says it very well. Okay, I'll read it to you. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat, so holy meat, okay, in the fold of their garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered no. So holiness and purity is not contagious, right? Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied it becomes defiled. You see, impurity is contagious. Purity is not. It's kind of like being sick, right? Health is not contagious. If I'm a sick person and I stand around a whole bunch of healthy people, I don't suddenly become healthy, right? More likely than not, everyone else around me is going to become sick, right? Because sickness is more contagious than health. And I think we live in a world, unfortunately, where we understand this all too well, right? With COVID-19 and all that, right? We understand that when you get COVID, right, you have to isolate yourself. That's kind of like what they had to do. They had to isolate themselves from the community. I remember when my youngest-born, Josiah, was first born, we caught COVID. And we actually went into a period where we just kept taking turns getting sick. Now, I have... Uh, I have Josiah, who um, is four months old, and I have Adara, who is two years old. And it was so difficult to isolate everyone. I mean, we tried our best. When someone got sick in the family, it was like COVID, a mini-COVID isolation, like lockdown, right? It was like, okay, mask on, hand hygiene, isolate, avoid all contact whatsoever. But with a two-year-old, it's very difficult to control and lock down a two-year-old, right? Because a two-year-old just wants to run around and she... and this is really good. She loves, loves her baby brother. So every morning she would run up to the baby brother. Even if she was leaking mucus, she would run up to her baby brother. Hello, Didi. Hello, baby brother. Right? It was so hard to hold her back and, and, and keep her away from the brother. Right? Because as parents, you know, right? If you're, ever, if you're a parent, you remember, it's just, you're just one snotty finger away from one family member getting, getting sick. And that's how it was like. Because sickness is highly contagious. Sickness is highly contagious. So, impurity was highly contagious. And now, for us, these laws are weird and often make little sense. Right? In fact, this can seem a little offensive to our modern sensibilities, if you think about it. For instance, how can it be that a woman who has just gone through the pain of childbirth, right, has to be, now be excluded from the community. Haven't they gone through enough? Amen, ladies? Right? Haven't you gone through enough? Now you need to be excluded from your family. Now you need to be excluded from your community. But that's how it was like, right? They were considered impure. But see, for us to understand this, we need to understand that purity laws were designed to be powerful theological messages that were always in their face. It infused every part of their life. That, and must bear in mind that to be impure didn't mean to be sinful. Right? Impurity did not equal sinfulness. It was not sinful to bury your dead relative. That is an honourable and good thing. But it would lead to you to be impure. That did, to be impure did not mean sinfulness. To have a child is not sinful. It is a beautiful blessing from the Lord. But it would result in you being impure. So impurity did not mean sinfulness. Rather, to be impure meant that you had, something was mixed, something had been compromised. You can think of clean or or, or purity as in contrast with mixed or mongrel. Just as gold, uh, pure gold, is without alloys, without defect, Israel was meant to be pure without mixture, without compromise, in all it did. So, therefore, Israelites couldn't touch a dead body because life and death cannot mix. Life and death cannot mix. Similarly, if, um, if you experience a loss, a loss of blood through childbirth or um, through a woman's period, it, it represented that life and death had mixed together in some way, shape, or form, because the life of a person is in their blood. Okay, do you kind of get that? Life and, life and death cannot mix. Seeds from different plants couldn't be planted together. And two cloths from different materials could not be sown together. Why? Because you cannot mix two things, two different things. Everything in your life, everything in their lives must be pure. Without combines, without mixture. Even the animals they couldn't eat had to follow this rule. It's the kosher the food laws sound very odd. But there, was a, there, there were categories in their minds of what a pure domestic animal looked like, of what a pure sea creature looked like, of what a pure bird looked like. And that's why, you see, pigs, you cannot eat pigs, because they don't chew the cud like a cow does, which is considered a pure domestic animal. You cannot eat… a pure sea creature was something that had fins and scales, like a typical fish, right? So you could eat a typical fish, but you probably couldn't eat like an eel or something like that, right? Because… or sea cucumber, you cannot eat that, right? Because it doesn't have fish. Uh, it doesn't have, it's looked like a typical fish. It wasn't pure, as pure sea creature. So Israel's entire lifestyle, everything they did, from the clothes they wore to the food they ate, everything sent them this message that you must be pure in every part of your life. Every part of your life must be without compromise, without mixture. And why is this such a big deal? Why is this such a big deal? Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 14. For the Lord your God moves about in your camp to protect you and to deliver you from your enemies. Your camp must be holy so that he will not see among you anything indecent and turn away from you. The reason why the camp of Israel needed to be pure at all times was because the presence of God was there. The presence of God was there. Therefore, nothing impure, nothing unholy could remain in the camp. It must be outside the camp because the presence of God is is there among them. The period of Israel was was a necessity in order to remain in the presence of this holy God. Now, this was great and not so great. It was great because now humans could be in the presence of God again. Since the Garden of Eden, it was difficult for a large group of humans to be in the presence of God. Only a few, select few, could be in God's presence and live. But now there was a way. For a lot of people, for a community, for a whole nation to be in the presence of God. But the not so great part was there's still barriers. There are restrictions in place, right? You had to be pure. And if you were impure, you had to be excluded. And the the bad part about that is oftentimes it was the impure that needed God the most, it was the sick that needed God the most, it was the vulnerable that needed the community the most. But they were the ones that needed to be excluded. So you got this conundrum. You got this issue. Now, what do you see Jesus doing when He's on earth? What do you see Jesus doing when He's on earth? Do you know know how mind-blowing it was when Jesus touched a leper? He had a skin disease. This was a guy Everyone just withdrew. When he entered the room, everyone's one, one and a half meter distance, right? Two meters, five meters distance, right? You don't touch that guy. In fact, he was meant to go, I'm unclean. I'm unclean, guys. Nobody touch me. But what do you see Jesus doing? Instead of drawing back, he rushes forward. He rushes forward. And what do you see happening when he touches the leper? Instead of becoming impure, he makes the leper pure. In him, in Jesus, the polarity, the current of contagiousness is reversed. And instead of impurity becoming being contagious, purity becomes contagious. So wherever He goes, people are becoming pure, people are being made whole, people are being restored, the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the lepers are being made whole. Because in Jesus, purity becomes contagious. Isn't this incredible? He is restoring. He is restoring the excluded. And He's he's literally bringing them back into the camp. He's literally bringing them back into community. He's literally bringing them back into the presence of God. So you see here, what Jesus is doing, He's not just healing this person. He's restoring this person holistically, body, relationally. Emotionally, even spiritually, what do you see Jesus doing? He doesn't just heal the people, He forgives them. I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven. Why? Why is He doing that? Because the the, the healing is simply a sign of the deep work of spiritual reconciliation that He's doing in that person's life. He's drawing them back. He's bringing them back into community by His presence, by His touch, one encounter with the Lord makes that person pure, makes that person holy, restores that person. And guess what? Who is the body of Christ now? We are. We are. We are the physical, earthly body of Christ on earth. So if Jesus, when he was on earth, was reaching out, reaching out in his hand to touch the broken, reaching out in his hand to spread contagious purity to a lost and broken world, to the sick, to the vulnerable. What do you think is the mission of the body of Christ? To reach out, to reach out, and to stretch out our hands to the vulnerable, to see the contagious purity of Christ flow through us to purify and restore this broken world. That's why, that's why Jesus' command to the church is, is, resoundingly, go go and make disciples of all nations. Just as Jesus was sent from his heavenly home into our world to purify it, we are sent from our spiritual home in Christ to our physical world and community around us. that's why we have missions programs. That's why we have outreach initiatives. Because they are amazing at getting us into places where we would not normally be. They are awesome. At the same time, you are not... Only the body of Christ when you're on a mission trip. You don't suddenly become, oh, now I'm a Christian when I'm, in a, when I'm doing outreach. No, no, no. Because I think the truth is that we have already been sent out. You, you are already in your workplace. You are already in your school. You're already in your university. You're already at, in your industry. You're already in your neighborhood. You're already in your community. God has already sent us out. The issue is not really whether we have been sent out yet or not. It's whether people, when they meet us, are coming into contact with Christ. That's the question. Because we have no power to purify anyone. If they come into contact with us, they, just, they become impure. We become impure, right? Because impurity is still contagious. Only when they come into contact with Christ in us Does purity flow out? Does does the polarity of degeneration reverse? And so we need to somehow ensure, somehow, we need to safeguard somehow, make sure that when people meet us, Christ, they meet Christ, they encounter Christ. How do we do that? How do we do that? I think the answer is in what Christ has done to bring us back into the holy presence of God. So, so, Let's, um, if I can take you back to the tabernacle, to, to the camp of Israel. So the camp of Israel is meant to be pure, okay? Within the centre of the camp of Israel was the tabernacle or the temple. And this was where the presence of God was, felt, strongest, okay? It was the strongest at this, in this location, okay? And the interesting thing about the temple and the tabernacle was that it was designed to let you know that this is the throne room of God. This is where God dwells, like physically and in a very tangible way. Everything about it was meant to send you that message. Um, if I can just uh, uh, maybe show this to you, um, I think it's really cool. Uh, but you remember in Eden, um, I'll draw for you the structure of Eden. Um, Eden was like this, okay, if you remember. Okay, so this is, okay, this is Eden, okay, in Eden was a garden, okay, and the garden, at the center of the garden was the tree of life. Okay, so there's Eden, okay, garden, and tree. Okay? Tree of life. Okay. All right. Now, what do you see in the temple? Okay, the temple is like this. The temple is like. There's the outer court. Then there's the holy place. That's the tent, right? That's where. You, 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 so everyone can come to the outer court. There's a holy place, which is where the priest can enter. And then right here is the most holy place. The holy place. Most holy place. Right? So here, you still have, you've got the outer area where people can come, then you've got the, then it get, gets more and more, more holy as you go in. What do you see in the Garden of Eden? You know, it had been really cool if I had the sense of scale and was able to put one half here and one half here. But um, I'm not perfect. So, um, uh, so you see here, right, even the structure of the temple, of the tabernacle was meant to communicate to you what? What was it meant to communicate to you? That the temple, the tabernacle, is a recreation of Eden. The recreation of Eden is where God's throne room is. It's where God meets with his people. You're coming back home when you come back to the temple. Isn't that amazing? In fact, if you go into it, even the decorations of the temple, how it's all flowery and full of trees on the walls and stuff like that, is going to communicate to you what? A garden. The, 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 the curtain, the curtain is embroidered with cherubim, right? Angels, cherubim, right? That they God that's sewn into the temple. Why? Because there was a cherubim, when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, there was a cherubim that blocked the entrance to the garden with a flaming sword on the east side. And so what do you see here? Cherubim guarding the presence of God on the east side. See, everything about the temple and tabernacle was was meant to communicate to the people that in here is home. This is a small slice of Eden in, in your midst. And that's why it was so important. The temple, the tabernacle was so important to the people of Israel. Now, here's the thing, there were gradations of access to the temple space. So, you know, in the, in the camp, right, only pure people can enter the camp, be in the camp. Now, in the temple, only the priests, only the holy, consecrated, anointed priests could enter the holy place, enter the holy place, okay? And only one person, the high priest, only one person of the entire nation could enter the most holy place the throne room of God, on one day of the year. One day of the year, the Day of Atonement. And he needs to make sure that he did everything correctly to the T. Otherwise, he might drop dead. See? So you see, even the beauty of the temple, being a small slice of Eden in the midst of his people, had restrictions, had gradations of access to it. And the closer and closer you gain access to God's presence, the more and more rituals and blood sacrifices you need to gain access there. Now, it might seem harsh, right? why so many restrictions, Lord? You want your people to come to you. Why put those restrictions in place? It's not about God wanting to, it's, about, it's not about um, God wanting to set up those restrictions. It was necessary. These restrictions were necessary in order to protect the people from the holiness of God. It's kind of like being in a nuclear reactor, right? Imagine a nuclear reactor. No one here, I think, would just march into a nuclear reactor with a few rods and go, I'm good here. This is where I'm meant to be, right? You would put on a lot of protective clothing, safety clothing, in order to be there. Why? It's, it's not about you going, hey, it's not fair. Why can't I just go in there? Right? You can't tell me what to do. You can't discriminate against against me. It's not about being fair, it's about being safe. Your body simply cannot take the power that is in a nuclear reactor. The blood sacrifice, the rituals were safety gear. It was Israel's safety gear in order to be in the presence of God. Is the holiness of God bad then? No. Completely the opposite. It's like the sun. The sun is a pure source of energy and power. It's immensely good. But if you get too close to it, the purity of power will destroy you. It's the same with the holiness of God. It is so pure that we cannot stand in its presence. So, what did Christ come to do? What do you see Christ doing? We see Christ in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 22, described as He Stood in the way to make a way, and so doing became the way. He stood in the way to make a way, and therefore he became the way. Hebrews 10, 19, 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain, through the curtain. That is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with, sincere, with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. When the high priest entered the most holy place on the Day of Atonement, he needed to bring a sacrifice with him and he needed to dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it over the most holy place. The most holy place was drenched in the blood of the sacrifice. What do you see Jesus doing? He stands in the way. He becomes the barrier. And then he tears open the barrier by tearing open his his body. He stood in the way to make a way back to the Lord through his broken body. We just ate communion. We just ate communion. That represents the bread, represents the broken body of Christ. Jesus broke open his body. He tore open the way back to God. And in so doing he became the only way to God. Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." That is true today. There's no way back to the presence of God. There's still the one way to God, the temple. But who has made the way? Jesus. So you come in through not under the not underneath you can't come in here, you can't go through there, right? You still have to enter through the temple, but the temple, the, the, the curtain, is now the broken body of Christ. And you come through the broken body and you stand on His spilled blood that drenches the floor. And that makes you worthy. And it bears It is important for even Christians, for us to remember this. Because we so often forget that it is only through Christ that makes us worthy. It is only through Christ that we can't come into the presence of God. Yet, so many people, I think, sometimes, even I, feel this tinge of apprehension to come before the presence of God. Because, God, I I don't feel worthy enough today. God, I, I, I did that thing yesterday and I don't think... I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm adequate enough to come before God. Why do we feel like we are not good enough or holy enough or do we don't have our life together enough to come and stand in the presence of God? Because the truth is, it was never about us. It is not our body that makes a way. It is Christ's body that has made a way. Therefore, we can come boldly into the presence of God today. Today, every single day. Why? And only if we come through Jesus Christ. You want to come through your good works? You want to come through your holiness? Well, shudder in fear. Because it's not good enough. But you come through Jesus Christ. You stand on His blood. Oh, you can come boldly and stand before Him and ask of Him whatever you need. Because it is Him, it is His body, it is His blood that makes you worthy. It makes you pure. And whenever you come and stand before the presence of God, what happens? The contagious purity of the Lord sprinkles you and washes you clean and makes you pure. The presence of God now makes you pure if you come through Jesus. You come through Jesus. And therefore, therefore, the command of the Lord to His holy people, to His pure people, is this. Be holy. Be holy, just as God is holy. Be holy, just as God is holy. Remember how the camp of Israel was only meant for the pure? Remember how the temple was only meant for the holy and consecrated priests. Well, where's the camp? Right here. Here's the camp. Where's the temple? Well, Jesus is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we are His body. Therefore, we are now the temples of the Holy Spirit. So guess, Where is the holy place? Right there. Where you're seated. Where you're seated. Where you're seated. You are meant to be placed pockets of holiness and purity wherever you go. And that is why we need to be holy. We need to be pure. We need to live our lives in a way that aligns with God's will and God's ways. Now, before you think I am preaching a works based faith, I'm far from it. Far from it. See, a workspace faith says you need to act holy in order to be holy. I am saying, and I believe Scripture is saying, that you have been made holy, therefore be holy in all you do. Remember how last week, if you were here last week, we said that God creates, humans cultivate. God creates, humans cultivate. God has created you, recreated you into a new creation that is holy and pure. What you are called to do is to preserve and continue what He's already started in you. That is holiness and purity. That's why it's restful. That's why it's not burdensome. Because Christ has already made you that. Christ has already made you holy. And He's given you all you need to do that. Now you just need to continue what He's already started in you. If I can use this illustration. um, Uh, Imagine um, I, I, I was driving a Formula One car. Now, it would be unreasonable to expect you to beat me in a race in my Formula One car, which is like a rocket on wheels, right, if I just give you a bicycle. Very unreasonable. It would be even more unreasonable to then say, well, look, 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 I'm not unfair, I'm a just guy. So, what I'm going to do is I will give you a Formula One car, your very own Formula One car, if you can first beat me on your bicycle. Is that reasonable? very unfair, that is not what Christ has done. Jesus has given us our very own Formula One car. What he's asking us to do is now that you have your very own Formula One car, rocket on wheels, drive it like a rocket. Drive it like a rocket. Don't don't just cruise around at 10 kilometers per hour. You can walk faster than that, guys. Don't treat it like a bicycle. You have a rocket, drive it like a rocket. That's what he's called us to do. That's what he's called us to do. Now what, what we struggle with, what we struggle with is that, uh, I, but you don't understand, all I've known is riding a bicycle. I've never, ri- I've never driven before in my life, let alone a in One car. And that's why Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit who fills us and he teaches us how to drive this Formula One car. Not only that, He's not only teaching you, He transforms you into a Formula One driver. You have the spirit of a Formula One driver. What you need to do is to learn from the Holy Spirit, is to allow Him to guide you, to teach you. You need to follow the ways of the Spirit as He's teaching you and revealing to you God's ways, how to drive. And he you will drive like a rocket, you will drive like a rocket. But what you cannot do is to go, well, there's no way I can possibly drive this car like a Formula One driver. Therefore, you know what? I'm just going to cruise around. At least I cruise around at 30 kilometers per hour. Maybe 120. That's faster than any other car, right? I've never driven that fast in my life before. At least God will be happy with that. Or maybe some people, some people just give up. They go, I, I can't do this. So I I might as well just go back to the bicycle because that was easier, at least I know that. Church, the truth is, we have been given a holy life to live. We've been given a Formula One car to drive. What we need to do is to realise that God has made me pure. God has made me holy. I can be holy if I follow Him, if I live by the Spirit. That's why, what do you see in the apostles' letters to the church? Put to death sin. Live according to the Spirit. Because then you 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 will not gratify the things of the flesh, but live in order to please God. Offer your lives as living, sacrifice, holy and pleasing God. You go, how is that possible? It is possible because God has given you His very own Spirit to live in you. What we need to do is to learn Learn from Him, and that way it becomes restful. I do not mean to burden you. I do not mean to burden you, but we cannot use our fallenness as an excuse for our sinfulness. We cannot. As Pastor Sinker likes to say, it is mission critical. Mission critical that we understand this because it is only when the church is holy, is our holiness that creates purity in the world around us is when we are holy, we live holy lives, that people come into contact with the Holy God. I remember it said once, I I, I can't remember where, but when we are broken, when we are most broken, uh, the, 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 the treasure that is within us, Christ, shines through our brokenness. And that's absolutely true if what is within us is holiness. Church, the way, the question that began this conversation is, how can we ensure that people come into contact with Jesus Christ that lives within us? It is our holiness that ensures that. It is when the church, you and I, are following the Spirit, are driving like a rocket in our communities. That is when people catch a glimpse of this holy God and they come into contact with him. It is this holiness, it is his holiness in us that is contagious. In John chapter 8, there's this famous story of a woman caught in adultery. A mob forms. You know this story. Many of you know this story. A mob forms to stone this woman and to come to Jesus. Hey, should we stone her? And he bends down and writes something on the ground. We're not sure what. But he says this to the, to the mob. Who, let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. One by one, the mob disperses until only Jesus and the woman remain. And he says this to the woman, chapter eight, verse 10. Jesus asked to him, women, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declares. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, was that a wish? Was that a command? Was that a suggestion? Was that a proposal? What was that? Go now and leave your life of sin. Or perhaps it was simply a statement of her new reality. Go now and leave your life of sin is simply the statement of the reality of a forgiven person. The woman for the first time ever had been handed a Formula One car. And Jesus went, go now and drive it like a rocket ship. Go now and leave your life of sin. Who here has been forgiven? Who here? has been made whole. Yes! Let's go and live. Be holy as God, who is in you, is holy. Now please, do not interpret holiness. Do not interpret holiness as religiosity or moral pretension. On earth, what do you see Jesus doing? He lives a holy life, doesn't He? But what do you see Him doing? Was He morally pretentious? No, the opposite. He's compassionate, loving, joyful. Joyful. That's what I mean when I say live a holy life. Not stuck up and going, I've got my life together. Have you? That's not holiness. Holiness is laying your life down for the sake of others, is elevating others up, is sacrificing yourself so that others may live. That is a holy life. And it's only when we are like this is only when the holiness of Christ shines through us like a beacon, then the world, then the world may be made whole through us, in us. So what can we do today? As I wrap up, what can we do today? As a practical, what can also, what can I do? What can I do? Oh, well, what we talk about every single Sunday. <laughs> what about every single Sunday? I have got nothing revolutionary for you to do. What more can I say? But simply this, there are three things you need to cultivate in your life. There are three things that God has given you and there are three things that we need to continue in our lives to cultivate and nurture and mature. And it's these three things, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and obedience to God. The Spirit of God, the Word of God, and obedience to God. When you have these three things in your life, holiness will ooze out of you. Contagious purity will flow from you like a river. Well, we need all three, right? If you have the Word of God and and obedience to God, but no spirit, you get religiosity and you get moral pretension. Oh yeah, you become very stuck up. If you have the spirit of God and obedience to God, but no word of God, you have no anchor. You have a wish to grind your faith. If you have the spirit of God and the word of God, but without obedience to God, you have a dead and passive faith. You risk becoming hypocritical, but you have all three. Spirit of God in your life. You follow the Spirit, you are anchored on the Word of God. You learn from Him and you allow the Spirit to use the Word to reveal who God is to you. And you obey it, you obey it. Oh, well then, let the world, let the world be purified. Let the world be made whole. As a Christian comes driving in with a Formula One car, to create a world that is holy for God. And we would see people return back home into the presence of God. Let's stand, let's stand. And I think our only proper response is simply this. I'm about to, I'll, I'll pray, and the city campus, you can take over. But um, Two, two, groups of people. One group are those that you, there's an apprehension for you to return to the presence of God. There's an apprehension. You can't, don't know what it is. You just feel unworthy. And there's one part of you that just cannot, that, that is struggling. You, you even struggled to come to church. Maybe you didn't come to church today. Maybe you're, you're watching online. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Absolutely nothing wrong watching online. But maybe the reason why you're not in church this morning is because there's something that, that is, that, that, that's. you just feel unworthy, you feel inadequate. Today, I want to invite you back into the presence of God through Jesus Christ, not through your week, not because of what you've done, but because of what He has done. Stand, go through His broken body, stand on His shed blood and be washed clean and made pure and holy. The second group of people are the people who, hey, let's live holy lives. We need to resubmit our lives back to God. We need to resubmit our lives back to Him. You have taken your hands off the Formula One, car, Formula One car wheel. Maybe you have driven around and been very happy driving around at 120 km per hour, but you know it can go faster. Today, let us resubmit our lives back to God. Today, God, I, through your spirit, I am going to learn from you again how to drive this Formula One car as it's meant to be driven. I am today going to learn from you to live this holy life, and if that's you. I want to invite you down to the front, and we will pray for you, and we will encourage you and support you. Let's do that as we respond to the song. Let's do that. Let, let me pray, and we'll do that. Oh Lord. I thank you for what Jesus Christ has done. That, Lord, through you, there is contagious purity for us and the world. Lord, but Lord, start with us today. Start with us. Start with us. Make us. Make us. You have made us already a holy nation, a, a, a pure people. You have purified us by your blood. Oh Lord, I pray, help us, teach us, show us how we can be holy as God is holy. You have made a way. You have made a way oh Lord, and we look to you, oh God, and we come back to you today, in Jesus' name, amen.